All information contained in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. You should consider the appropriateness of this information with regards to your individual objectives, financial situation, and needs. Welcome to Sharing More Than The Sheets, a podcast to help you and your partner make better financial and lifestyle decisions so that you can both focus on the things that you love. I'm your host, Michael Curry, financial planner, green thumb, husband, and just dad. This episode is part of a series where I interview experts on various areas around mental health. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help now, call 000 Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 anytime for support and advice. Our mood can affect the way we carry out our duties during the day whether it's as a partner, as a parent, as an employee, as a business owner. And there are many different things that affect our mood. Today, I've invited Christy Howard to talk about how food can affect our mood. Christy, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. My pleasure to be here. It's a, I mean, your, your background, you're a psychologist, you're a health coach. Um, I know that you're not a dietitian, um, but if you could maybe give us a bit of a background about your yourself and um, the angle that you've come from with this, because I mean, mood and food, it just makes sense that food can impact our mood. But I feel like it's maybe something that a lot of us don't really talk about or even realize. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're, you're 100% right there. Um, it's only probably the last five to 10 years that research has really started to take off in this area and that that research is starting to filter down into everyday language, that there is this relationship between what we eat and our brain health or our mental health, our mood and our thinking. We know that food and diet and nutrition certainly affects our physical health. Um, that's really well marketed. Um, you know, the, the role of food in risk of, for example, diabetes, type 2 diabetes, uh, cardiovascular risk, uh, risk of stroke, heart disease, all of that. Uh, but only recently are we starting to learn about the role of food in mental health. And I've been a psychologist for about um, over 15 years, not quite 20 years. And I actually started my psychology postgraduate in um, health psychology. So, so looking at the role of our health um, or the relationship between our mental and our physical health. And we talked about things like stress and we talked about things like diet, but only at a really superficial level. There was no real education of how nutrients may be influencing our mental health. Um, and it's still not part of our psychology kind of education um, even now. So in this discussion, I guess there are two disclaimers I want to make. I am a psychologist. Um, I'm not a dietitian. I have done postgraduate study in uh, nutrition, human nutrition at Deakin University and um, other studies, postgraduate studies, looking at the role of food and mood. Um, but for me, I'm coming at it from a psychologist's perspective. So I'm looking at 
um, the science of nutrition and the research around that relationship between mood and food and looking at the, the takeaways, the big takeaways, rather than those um, giving specific advice or dietary plans. It's looking at that bigger, more general picture of what is that relationship between food and mood? Um, what do we know? What don't we know? And what are some general tips we can take away from the research at moment because at the moment because there are still a lot of gaps and holes and a lot that we don't understand so that's the first disclaimer and the second one I really want to make a point of as well is that even though we're going to be talking about the role of food in our mental health or our brain health our well-being um there's obviously so many other factors that influence our mental health, right? You know, stress, trauma, unemployment, um, poverty, childhood abuse, um, domestic violence, all of these things have a role to play in our well-being and our mental health. Food is just one of those factors. So it's not the, the magic bullet. Um, it's not the complete answer, but it's one factor that has often been overlooked in that certainly in the world of psychiatry and psychology um, and it's what we consider a mod modifiable risk factor it's something that in the most part we actually can change we do have some control over um, and it's and it's really fascinating a really fascinating area so these are the those two disclaimers i just want to point out before we get into this into this discussion yeah, well, I mean, it, it makes sense. You mentioned that it's it's been overlooked, and um, I can see how it's been overlooked because it's something that we do every day. Like we eat mm. food on a regular basis, so mm -hmm. it's something that you know it's not the only factor that can affect someone's mood. But uh, I mean, me personally, I can say that if I you know, I don't know if this relates to, to to the research, but you know, if you eat a lot of carbs, for example you naturally just feel really lethargic and tired and um, yeah. not really in the mood to, to do anything. Um, yeah. Is that the angle that you come from or is it more of like a, a long-term effect, uh, sort of more of a, say, medium to long-term impact that food has on someone's mood? Yeah, more of that long-term effect and, and um, what the research is saying. So obviously there is a relationship between certain nutrients and our, our mood in the short term. So absolutely, right? Carbohydrates. If we eat lots and lots of kind of sugary foods or refined um, foods like white flour type products, biscuits and cakes and chips, things like that, that will have a very quick influence on our mood in terms of what's going on with our, particularly when we're talking carbohydrates, our blood glucose levels, because those highly refined, probably junky or carbohydrate, um, like simple carbohydrate foods, stop me if you want me to explain um, any words I'm using there, but that the kind of those um, junky foods or processed foods, right, they release or they break down in our bodies very, very quickly and release sugar into our bloodstream very, very quickly. 
And so what that ends up doing is um, triggers the pancreas to release insulin because it's not good for your body to have a lot of sugar in the blood. So insulin gets releases and said, whoa, this is dangerous. Quick, get the sugar out of our blood, enter the cells. Um, and often if we're releasing lots of carbohydrates or sugar into our blood, our pancreas will overshoot that insulin. So release lots of insulin to quickly absorb that sugar. And we get that real flat, brain foggy, yucky kind of feeling as, as often too much sugar is removed from our blood. Um, and then what happens? What do you do when you feel kind of brain foggy and flat and yuck? What's the first thing that you want to do? Just sleep. Sleep, yeah, yeah. Or what a lot of people do is then go for something like caffeine to wake themselves up. Ah, yes, up. to boost, to boost it back yeah. up. <laughs> right. Um, but also sugar too, you know, to get a, another quick mental health kick, like a, um, a dopamine kick or a sugar kick. Um, and so this is where in a short-term basis, on a day-to-day basis, you can end up on these um, a kind of a, a blood sugar roller coaster where we flood our system with a lot of sugar. We get an initial high. It feels good. Then we get the slump and then we go back for more sugar or caffeine, which then, um, releases more blood sugar into our system. And we, we just go out on these highs and lows throughout the day. So yes, we have that short-term impact on our mood, but the research that I'm really curious about and interested in is more of that long-term um, idea of dietary patterns, the ways we're eating on a daily basis or a monthly basis or a yearly basis and how that's linked to mental health conditions like depression and anxiety. Okay. And what would you say are some common dietary patterns that do tend to be the ones that can have a significant negative impact on someone's mood. Yes. And so, I know there's probably hundreds, but it just there's <laughs> like a couple that really stand out that you're like, yeah, you know, these are the very common ones that people don't even realize exist. There are two that are most commonly studied and, and most people would recognize them. So firstly is uh, the whole foods or what they call a traditional diet or Mediterranean style diet. Um, so this is a diet rich in, in plants, fruits, vegetables, rich in whole grains, rich in uh, healthy proteins like lean meats or legumes, fish, uh, good oils, your omega-3 oils, fermented foods like your sauerkraut, um, basically foods that our ancestors would recognize, just real food. We call that the, the whole food style diet, right? And this diet is connected to good mental health outcomes. And they, they compared that kind of dietary pattern with what's called the SAD diet or it's an acronym for the standard American diet or the standard Australian diet or a Western diet, which is predominantly uh, high in processed foods. Um, it's got those refined grains. And what I mean by that is like your white flours, your white rice, um, rather than the, the, the whole grain variety or whole wheat variety. It's trans fats, so these are chemically altered fats um, that enable fat to stay solid at room temperature. So these are kind of your packaged biscuits, 
Yeah, I have a lot of trans fats or packaged cakes, foods with added sugar, high in salt, low in fiber. So they're, they're high in, um, calories, rich in calories and energy, but low in nutrients, low in your, your vitamins and minerals. And that's considered a Western diet or the SAD diet is the acronym, the standard American diet. And that is associated with greater risk of developing anxiety and depression. And so there's been many many studies now, like population-based studies with tens of thousands of people across different age groups, cultures, genders, and they all say the same thing, that people who consume a predominantly whole foods-based diet um, are up to 35% less likely to develop depression. So depression is, or symptoms of depression is usually what is studied at the moment. Whereas those who regularly eat a Western style diet, that sad diet, increase their risk to develop depression by as much as 60%. And this is a, um, a very strong, robust relationship between um, that whole foods based diet, improving mental health outcomes or, or uh, preventing the risk of depression and anxiety versus that Western diet increasing that risk. And they've looked at um, not just these population-based uh, studies at one point in time, they've also looked at longitudinally. So they've followed people over time prior to having any mental health condition because obviously in those um, population-based studies, uh, it could be that when we don't feel good, right, we go for junk food. We, we naturally do as a kind of comfort food. So it could be that the mental health precedes the foods that we're choosing. But actually they've looked at this in longitudinal studies where prior to people developing or having any mental health conditions and what they've found is that the poor diet appears to precede poor mental health. And as people have improved their diet, they improve their mental health. And the more they improve their diet, the more they improve their mental health. So we're starting to see, get more confidence in this relationship that diet seems to have an impact on how we're thinking and feeling. And, and as far as like the, the sad diet's concerned, so the standard American diet, is it because you're essentially eating food that initially tastes great, fills you up, makes you feel satisfied, but it's lacking all of the things that your body needs, essentially? And it also contains other things like the trans fats, et cetera, that can have an impact on you physically? Yeah, you're absolutely right there. So we're actually filling up with foods that are calorie rich. So rich in macronutrients. Um, so your proteins, your fats, your carbs are your macronutrients. And they're typically the things that hold our energy, right? Does that make sense what I'm saying there? They're, yes. That's what holds our calories. Um, that gives us our energy. So they're energy rich. But often they're so refined. So all of the fiber, all of the vitamins, the minerals, um, and it's the vitamins and minerals that contain our antioxidants um, and phytonutrients, which are plant-based compounds that support our immune system. 
they've been removed in that refining process. So we're kind of simply eating energy, you know, so without all of the other good stuff. And the problem with eating, um, say, highly processed foods is that when our body breaks those foods down, in the process of breaking that food down to be absorbed into our body, it releases um, pro-inflammatory molecules. Um, That happens regardless of whatever we're eating, but it's much more so in highly processed packaged foods, trans fats, for example. And because we're not having the micronutrient-rich foods, so the vitamins and minerals, the the whole grains, our fruits, our vegetables, our plant foods that are rich in antioxidants. We don't have, our bodies don't have the capacity to deal with that inflammation. And so we're releasing these kind of free radicals into the system, but we don't have the antioxidants to try and combat that. And so we're creating a highly inflammatory uh, state within our body, which can actually damage, do damage to our di- digestive system. So to just slow that down a little bit um, in terms of inflammation, and please stop me if, um, or uh, let me know if you want me to explain something in a bit more detail. But we need antioxidants, we need vitamins and minerals to enable our body to get that energy where we need it to go. So the first thing is to explain that even though we may be eating foods that are rich in energy or rich in calories, which we all know about our macronutrients, our fats, our carbs, our proteins, which is great, but it's actually the micronutrients, our vitamins and minerals that enable the body to take that energy to where it needs to go. So a a perfect analogy, it's like having a car, it could be the fanciest car in your driveway, and it's got a full tank of petrol. You know, it's fueled up, ready to go. But if we've got no driver, if we don't have the micronutrients, that car, no matter how fancy it is, no matter how full that tank is, it can't go anywhere. It can't do its job and take you on that trip. And it's the same with the macro and micronutrients. If we're eating foods that are so rich in calories, that's great. We've got all this energy. But if we're not eating the micronutrients with those macronutrients, our body is unable to do what it needs to do to function at its best. So when it comes to brain health, our brain needs carbohydrates it needs sugar the the only fuel our brain works on is actually glucose um, which predominantly comes from our carbohydrates but in order for our body to use that energy to turn the nutrients from food into the nutrients that our brains need to function so for example to turn tryptophan which is an amino acid from from protein we need to turn that into serotonin, which helps with um, maintaining an even mood. So often our antidepressants are about maintaining that serotonin levels in our brain. Um, We actually need vitamins and minerals in order for that change to happen, in order for that, that amino acid tryptophan to become serotonin, 
we need vitamins and minerals in our diet to enable that to happen. It's kind of like the fairy dust that makes the magic happen to change that, to use, to use the energy to make that change happen. And if we're not eating a diet rich in micronutrients, in vitamins and minerals, then our brain metabolism just gets really sluggish and we may be at risk of uh, low serotonin and, and low other chemicals our brains need to function. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a free 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au. That, 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 makes, that makes complete sense to me. Like I, I relate mm. it to... Um, in a way related to Pac-Man, the game Pac-Man, you, okay. you know, he's going around the maze, he's eating the little dots, which, you know, sort of gets him by, but doesn't really do much. But when he actually eats the big ones, it's when it actually makes a difference. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Perfect. So, and then he, then you can perform as best as possible. Um, and the yeah. reason I ask you this question is because I have this conversation all the time with family and friends where, you know, they, they eat a lot of the foods in the sad diet, but Mm-hmm. Until you actually understand why you probably shouldn't be eating as much of those foods, um, it's hard to actually make the change because I feel like with behavior, yes. you know, un- understanding is important. It's like, I mean, saying that it doesn't really work with smoking. People know smoking yeah. is not good and they still do it. But, you know, if you understand why something's not good for you, you're more likely to to put in the effort to make the change. I 100% agree and i and i think we just because this connection hasn't been well understood um and it takes a long time for research to filter down into everyday language when we go to our gps that you know they talk about it or when we see a psychologist but we need to be having this conversation around this relationship between food and mental health and actually why it's important like what part of our food is important. Uh, how do how do those nutrients turn into brain health and me thinking and feeling good? And if you think about it, um, one of the things that used to blow my mind when I first started studying nutrition, and particularly the biochemistry of nutrition, is realizing for the first time that everything I eat, all of it, becomes all of me. So, so everything that I am, you know, every piece of hair, my teeth, my bones, uh, my skin, my cells, the organelles within my cells, the, the skin, the membrane of my cells, every single thing I or you am literally comes from the food that we eat. We are what we eat. Absolutely. And that is pure biochemistry. And so I think that firstly is amazing you know to really really honestly think about the fact that our, we are literally what we eat um, and the our body's ability to function well and to function at its best is in huge part de- de- determined by the quality of the food that we are eating and and it's interesting isn't it like we all know that you know, we've all, most people have heard the saying that, you know, you are what you eat, yeah. um, but it takes, it, it does take that extra little bit of effort to actually think about it and actually realize what you are eating as well, or to think about what you are eating on a regular basis, because 
things like, you know, takeaway, they taste good, you know, yeah. things like um, processed foods, they taste really good. They're very convenient. Absolutely. Um, and, and our life is getting busier and busier and um, the cost of living is getting more expensive. So yeah. um, as humans, we do what humans do is we look for shortcuts. You know, when yeah. things get hard, we look for ways to do things better um, mm. or to do things faster or more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And I feel lately more than ever, the, the option of takeaway or the option of processed foods is a, a quick win, especially for anyone. I mean, especially busy parents, but anyone really, Absolutely. because everyone's busy in their own way. Absolutely. And, and I, I'm a parent. I know how life can get very hectic and chaotic. And, you know, my, my heart really does go out to parents that are also working and, and trying to balance so much in our lives. Um, I also think marketing uh, has played a big um, role in our food choices as well. Um, and there, it feels like there's this whole generation of passing down the knowledge of cooking as well has been lost, you know, for convenience and trying to make it easier uh, for ourselves, for parents, um, so that even if you wanted to look at um, making more of your own food or going back to more of a whole foods-based diet, it's really, really tough because it's it's like a whole generation of knowledge that hasn't been passed down on how to make, you know, really simple, basic, healthy meals. But it can be done and it doesn't have to be too difficult. What are some quick wins? For, for those listening to this that, uh, okay, sounds great, but I'm not changing my life or I'm not prepared to change the way we do, you know, food in our household. What would you say are some quick wins, some some tips, just some easy strategies that somebody listening to this can implement yeah. just to start the process? Because I do understand like anything health related, they're not going to eat healthy for a couple of days and instantly feel like, you know, feel a million bucks. It is going to take time. Um, and I just know that from experience, but yeah, what are some quick wins or ways that you think people can, things that people can implement in their lives? Yeah. And that's a really good question. And and I first want to point out that um, absolutely it does it take time. Um, it is about being consistent, um, but the research does show. So before I get into some quick tips, just to point out that there's now been three randomized control studies where they have... Um, provided some education and training around particularly that Mediterranean style diet, whole foods based diet, providing just simple general guidelines. One study was simply a, I think it was a 15 minute little video for young adults, um, a notoriously hard group of people to change their diet. Um, But it was only a 15 minute short video and then a few phone call checkups over a period of three months. And they found in the group that had that dietary intervention, that simple little video, that not only did they improve their diet, but they also improved their depressive symptoms as compared to a control group that didn't get that intervention. 
So sometimes just a little bit of education and some small changes really can make a difference. One of the biggest studies that was done actually in Australia called the um, SMILES trial, it was a 12-week intervention where they had a dietitian supporting a family um, to shift to more a Mediterranean-style diet and they compared it with a control group, which was a social support group. Um, and they found that although both groups reported reduced depression symptoms, about a third of the people in the dietary group, those that had that Mediterranean style kind of shift in their diet, um, achieved remission. So they were no longer depressed from when they, when they first started. A whole third of that group compared to only 8% in the social support group. And that's that's incredible results. So even in um, if someone was to take an antidepressant, for example, we would not get that level of success. We get people that improve their mood, but not necessarily be in remission. So not necessarily no longer be not depressed. They're just less depressed. So food really can make a difference. I just really wanted to make that point that the research is there to, to, to show that. Um, so if you're thinking about wanting to make some changes, uh, the big takeaways I would say is starting to think about increasing the amount of fruits and vegetables in your diet. So at the moment in Australia, we have um, a diet that is pretty predominantly ultra-processed. So over a third of the Australian diet is ultra-processed. Only 7% of adults are actually eating the recommended minimum amount of vegetables per day. So only 7% of us. So we could all improve in that area. And why I say is, is trying to increase your fruits and vegetables um, is that that's where our micronutrients are. That's that driver of the bus that enables us to improve our brain metabolism and get things working in our brain better. But also it's rich in those antioxidants that, that can help with reducing the inflammation that processed food brings with it. So really, if there is any kind of shift that you would want to start with is thinking about how can I introduce more fruits and vegetables. And I always start off with thinking about what I can bring more into my diet as opposed to what I can take away. Because as soon as we go into that restrictive kind of thinking, uh, what do we want? We want that thing that we, we no longer are allowing ourselves to have. And the research isn't saying that we have to have a pure whole fields diet all the time, every single day of our life. It's saying that actually you know, it's, it's more about what we can, what we could be eating or should be eating mostly is a whole foods diet, but everything is still welcome. We can still have processed food, but if we can also add predominantly whole grains, predominantly fresh fruits and vegetables so that we are supporting our body to combat any of that inflammation that, be, that may be coming from more of that kind of um, processed sugary refined products that we're eating. So start with thinking about how can I increase those fruits and vegetables or eat fruits and vegetables first before the processed stuff. So kind of fill up on your fruits and vegetables first. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So, so essentially taking baby steps and not just deciding to drastically change your diet overnight, but just yeah. 
changing things slowly through that. And I mean, I think anyone listening to this would agree that they are going to feel better. I mean, they can, they can, sorry, they can anticipate that they are going to feel better by doing these things. But I think the more we talk about it, the more we can keep reminding ourselves um, that you are what you eat and you need to, you know, think about these things because it, it, you're right. It it affects your mood. Um, But obviously the physical health and, and I mean, in, yeah, and I mean, this is a topic, to be honest with you, and I'm glad someone like yourself, Christy, um, has taken the time to, you know, research it and pay attention to it and to talk about it because um, I don't think, you know, like what you said, not many people do. Um, and if anybody wanted to get in contact with you as well, um, what would you say would be, or, or to learn more about what you do, mm-hmm. what would you say would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, um, well, you certainly can contact me through my uh, website, uh, which is www.moodfoodpsychology.com. Um, there's a, a contact page there, so you can just flick flick me an email. There's one thing um, I do want to leave people with, a little statistic that I think often blows people's mind, um, is to remember that when we eat, we are predominantly feeding our brains. So even though our brain is only kind of, it's a fairly small organ, it's around 2% of uh, an adult uh, person's body weight. Um, So it's quite small, but it actually consumes 20 to 50% of the nutrients and energy we eat actually goes to our brain. Wow. So 2% is the size of our brain but our brain actually consumes between 20 to 50% of what we eat. So when we're eating, predominantly we're feeding our brains. And so to really think about what am I, what am I feeding my brain? You know, what, what do I want to be feeding my brain in order to get it to function well? Yeah, that, that's such an endure. And if you think of it that way, then yeah, I mean, really, if you think, you know, if you ask anybody what the, two most important organs in their body are, they're either going to say it's their heart or their brain. Yeah. it's a, That's such a good point to leave people with. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to add your website to the description of the episode as well, Christy, okay. so people can click on that. Um, and uh, finally, I like to finish all episodes off with a dad joke. Today's dad joke is terrible, but, <laughs> but I feel like it really suits exactly what we're talking about with food and mood. So, and it's, you might even work it out, actually. But um, what do you call a sad strawberry? A blueberry. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is terrible. So, no, it's it actually is. really good. <laughs> well, it's good for the topic, really, oh, yeah, because food has it mood, is. really. Well, not really, but anyway. And, uh, and blueberries um, are great, right? Each of blueberries. The more color exactly. the more color in your fruit is, is a sign of actually the phytonutrients. Um and phytonutrients are these plant-based compounds that are rich in antioxidants. So eat your rainbow, eat those, eat the blueberries, those sad strawberries. Yes, the sad strawberries. Um, thank you again, Christy. I really appreciate your time. Um, and um, I hope your, your your journey and your mission just continues on and on to continue spreading spreading the word about our mood and our food pleasure thank you thanks for having me thanks for joining us on sharing more than the sheets please make sure you subscribe to be updated with future episode releases and feel free to share this episode 
with any friends or family that you think it might benefit. Please visit us at sharingmorethanthesheets.com.au to submit questions or requests for future podcast topics. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au.